0: Hello, welcome to this latest University of Brighton podcast. I'm Richard Newman and my guest this week is Peter Squires, Professor of Criminology and Public Policy in the School of Applied Social Science. Peter is one of the first people media contacts when they want an expert on law and order and gun crime. He's been at the university since 1986 and is about to take a step back but continue his work here. We talked about his career, how the criminology course came into being here at Brighton and about social issues around knife and gun crime across the world.
1: Way back in the day, uh, I always wanted to join the police. I think I'd watched too many episodes of Z Cars and I thought being in the police would be a real way to have an exciting job. But I, I never grew to the colossal height of 5'8". And um, although I spent two years as a police cadet in Avon and Somerset, and that really was my, you know, heart ambition... Um, I wasn't tall enough, I had to find another option, so I went relatively late on to the nearest university. I did an undergraduate degree in sociology and social policy at Bristol uh, and thought that in in the goodness of time, if I had a degree, they wouldn't care about the missing half inch. Um, but that was the year that Thatcher was elected prime minister. The first thing the Tories did when they came in was give the police a, a big pay rise. And suddenly they were awash with tall graduates as well. So I was in a way doubly screwed on that count. By then, I I, I hated university for the first year at least i began to warm to it in year two and by year three I'd, I, I i you know i'd got the bug i was enjoying this academic work and i felt more at home there um and uh, uh, an offer came out that the the department i was in had a number of uh postgraduate awards would i like to apply for one i did i got one and the rest is kind of history. I went on and did a PhD and eventually gravitated down to, to Brighton after the PhD was finished teaching social policy originally, mm-hmm. um, although always with a kind of inkling towards the kind of deviant end of social sciences. And eventually that grew into our criminology program that we've got today.
0: Let's talk about studying criminology. It's a really fascinating subject. Um, What is it that generally intrigues people about crime and the the criminal justice system? I guess so many of us are fixated with watching shows like Around Crime on television, aren't we? Yet appalled by what might be going on in, in real life.
1: I think, in a way, crime, it, it's tales of good and evil. It's its pretty basic stuff. It's, it's moral tales of good and evil and injustice and resolution. I, and in a sense, I know that that's part of what I like. I know it's more complicated than that, but when you start looking at why it's more complicated it's often to do with those unfairnesses the cumulative disadvantages the discriminations that build up and i i think although although you you become a criminologist i've probably been more interested in what i'd call the process of criminalization the the imposition of social control on people the the disciplining of people and in many ways the way in which people largely accept that disciplining upon themselves most of the time but broadly speaking i've i've been interested in the i suppose the theory of social control and the attempt to impose labels of criminality on onto other people and that's particularly so in in recent years in 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 policing with concerns about stop and search and the racialization of 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 prosecution strategies the over the over identifying of crime with young black men in in the inner city Um, these these are real serious problems that i think we're getting more wrong than right
0: can you tell us about the, um, the course that's run here then at the University of Brighton? What can students expect when they get here? What can they expect to go on to? Because I guess they can help to be shaping criminal justice in the future.
1: <clears throat> well, I, I, think, I think the thing, it was, it was timely. I mean, I think it was timely that we developed the course. Uh, we, we were being opportunistic, no doubt. I think there was a significant fall in interest in what you might call broader social policy. Which is ironic, really, because it's it's many of those problems: unemployment, uh, educational disadvantage, poverty, racism. It's those problems that that ultimately end up as crime problems Um, but people are more interested it seems in the crime and punishment the criminal justice aspects of it so we began to develop a course that on the one hand tried to explain what crime was what people thought it was who it impacted and at the same time undertake a sort of cook's tour, if you like, of the criminal justice system from from the point at which the policeman or woman stops you on the street all the way through the criminal justice process. And then in year two, we started looking at crime prevention. We tried to look more globally at cross-cultural issues. Um, So we were looking at why why do some societies, I'm thinking particularly here of places like America and Saudi Arabia, why do they persist in the death penalty? you know, in what sense is that justice? So we were, we were asking cross-cultural questions about what is crime? How do different societies see it? What is justice? How do they pursue it? Um, and then in, in the third year, we had a whole series of options depending on people's um, research interests. Gangs, my one on gun crime, uh, gender and crime, domestic violence, a whole range of themes. So I think people got a good grounding in basic criminological theory and criminal criminal justice systems. And then we expanded it out to look at wider and different themes, environmental crime, green crime, um, race and crime, um, culture and crime. So m- the media and crime, you know, that's always a popular one. And I think it was timely to do it because a- a- around this time we were seeing a massive expansion in investment in crime prevention. The police were recruiting lots of civilian employees, local authorities were, were, were now for the first time being encouraged to develop crime and disorder reduction partnerships, so every avenue of government, governance business had a, a crime and public safety agenda attached and there were lots of opportunities to get involved in uh, work on, on, on youth crime and youth diversion youth clubs uh, victim support community safety in its widest sense I mean we it wasn't just crime we were looking at we were looking at public safety road safety fire safety and and there was an explosion of new employment opportunities across the field in these crime prevention, community safety initiatives as well as in in security and and security became a big issue not just sort of personal security and safety but business security wider questions of community security housing security so a lot of a lot of what were traditional areas of government were were getting a kind of crime and disorder and safety aspect to them and there was a rapid expansion of careers that hadn't previously existed mm. and it was a good time to expand into that field and and I think we really we we caught the the zeitgeist if you like with that it recruited well it grew grew like crazy and within within 5 or 6 years of having a just a pathway in our course we've got a whole degree
0: and we'll come back to your work here at the university in a bit let's just talk about some of the um kind of the current social picture really and we've seen a lot in the news recently about the rise of of stabbings in in london uh record levels of in knife crime in england and wales last year where's this come from do you think Where, where's this rise this increase come from because it's sort of exploded a bit in the last few months hasn't it
1: well, it, it seems to have. I think there's a f- there's an interesting phenomenon working here, and and it's it's a, it's a sort of almost crime wave effect that criminologists talk about. It happened in relation to gang crime. It happened in relation to gun crime, certainly, and I think it happens in relation to knife crime. In the early stages of what appears to be a, a, a rise in crime, it gets overreported. My best example of this is um, the the case of what became referred to as moped crime you know people doing bag snatches very early on in the in the story of both knife crime and moped crime these statistics would appear saying you know it's gone up 50 percent in the last nine months now that is usually spurious or or highly selective i'll give you two examples one is there's no such thing as moped crime you look on criminal Criminal data. There's no. I mean, do they mean driving on a moped, going to a crime scene, uh, driving away from a crime scene on a moped, or actually doing a snatch? And I think where, wherever that ambiguity exists, the police will tell you what they want you to know. I think that's a, a classic sign in crime wave theory. When when the first panics about um, knife crime hit the media in about two thousand six seven. Only the Metropolitan Police kept data on what they called knife crime. But there is no such offence category as knife crime. Any wounding that broke the skin got recorded as if it were knife crime. Now, that that's clearly wrong. They didn't have the data. They spoke as if they did. You got highly selective reports of where it had gone up. Um, at the same time, if if... And I did a, I wrote an article about this, looking at a contrast between cr- police crime figures that seem seem to show knife crime going up, and hospital accident and emergency figures which seem to show knife crime going down. Now something's got to be wrong there, um, and so I, so I, I do think a lot of the time, a lot of the early data, when you get these reports of rapid increases, massive, massive hikes in in knife crime. I think a lot of it is selective, often mythological, fabricated and deeply problematic. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are keen for the story to be that it's going up. The police, because it becomes a demand for more resources. and. With the police concerned about cuts lately, obviously any sign that they can uh, use to show that more resources are necessary, they will use, and, and they have done. The government, it plays into a law and order agenda. Governments will always get votes for being tough on law and order. So I, I think there's there's a lot of questions, and I, I, that's, that's kind of one of the problems I suggested earlier. There need to d- to be a bit more informed criminological insight into what often gets claimed about what's going up and what's coming down, because I think it's messier and and more complicated than we're sometimes led to believe.
0: If we go away from these statistics that are used in the news then in terms of increases, decreases, what about the recent spate of stabbings in London, though? There have been quite a lot. Yep. I know from the outside, they look a bit random as well. What are your takes on that?
1: I think one of the answers is there's a there's a there is a sort of issue about policing from about 2010 the police had a had the most developed neighborhood policing strategy Um, that they've ever had. It was was joined up, it was effective, it was producing results in many urban areas, but it fell victim to the whole austerity agenda. Massive policing cuts in many areas. Uh, The the neighbourhood policing strategy was rolled back. Uh, Real concern about keeping the streets safe. I think rolling that back allowed the kind of gang and youth activity to pop back up a bit. Um, And some of those fairly long standing neighborhood gang related postcode differences those sorts of issues pop back up resentments appear people who don't trust the police sort things out for themselves i, I think there's a lot going on uh, and and the underlying theme to a lot of it is the the sort of um the sale of drugs and the control of lucrative sites from which to to sell drugs so there's a lot going on the underlying story is not good there have been lots of high profile stabbings there have been some people saying well yeah knife crime's going up gun crime's coming down um and and it may well be that um that the ability of police and customs and the national crime agency to police and uh, make guns harder to access is why people are people are turning to knives it's a whole different supply dynamic for knives there's also research in, in London that shows a lot of stabbings and not intention to kill. Um, there's also a degree of kind of marking other people. So, perverse as this might seem, there's there's a kind of real, um, almost kind of economy of respect whereby people are challenging others, doing the masculine thing, doing the bravado thing, and I think we... we have relatively little purchase on just how beleaguered marginalised and and unattached these people are and where they get to Uh, and i think it's got a lot to do with school exclusions and unemployment and and ultimately racism how can people be in those positions what 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 is it that, that provokes them to to stab we, we need to do the research with the people doing it, not going back to police officers asking them why they think it's happening or other experts you, you've got to get down and dirty with the people doing this to say, you know, what makes you tick why do you do this, what would help you um, we've become a very unequal society and a lot of the, a lot of the violent crime is concentrated in the, the poorest and most marginal sections of, of communities and we've lost we've lost the sense of understanding where they are and 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 what makes them tick and i think that's along with policing cuts and a whole load of other social changes we, we've we've allowed these problems to get worse and worse over many years, really.
0: Your specialist subject is more than gun crime. It's, uh, it's it, become
1: it's, that. Yeah, it's it, become that, yeah. It's somewhat serendipitous. It was never meant to be. It's right. like a hobby hobby interest that just grew.
0: <laughs> okay, so, I, I mean, we'll talk about America in a minute, but, I mean, MPs New Zealand have also recently emphatically voted in favour of the ban of military-style weapons yeah. following the, the Christchurch terror attacks. That's a big statement, isn't it? And it's something that countries like the USA wouldn't do probably any time soon.
1: I struggle always to try and find signs of hope in America. (laughs) It's it's hard in the in the Trump environment to do that, but I, I I try. I mean I was funnily enough, I was I was on my way to a gun culture conference in Arizona um, which is about as cowboy country as you can get. The week before the uh, Las Vegas shooting, now the Las Vegas shooting in America—you know, the the most uh, lethal mass killing. The guy, the guy had illegally converted assault rifles to make them into de facto machine guns, and he'd done that to about twelve of them buying buying kits that he could access online. It was that straightforward. And for a while, the gun lobby debated whether uh they would support a ban on the kits and the what was called the bump stock mechanism that made the gun fire like a machine gun in the end they decided not to which which pretty much tells you that there's almost no type of gun they're going to ban but some states did and and in a sense the the kind of democratic controlled safer Eastern seaboard, European-leaning states banned them. New York did, uh, Illinois did, uh, and a number of others did that were, were pro-democratic and, and had exercised a, a degree of gun control in the past, whereas others didn't. So I, th- I think what you're seeing is a, a degree of polarisation according to the demographics of the states. Uh, the sign of hope is that the the demographic that most most owns most guns. Older, white, suburban, ex-military males um, is the shrinking component of the American demography. The black community owns less guns. The Latino community owns less guns. Single parent household owns less guns. Urban dwellers own less guns. So there's, there's all these kind of creeping signs of progress, but my hunch is it ain't going to happen anytime soon. And the the problem of the the kind of republican drift to the right is that it's become more strident and pro gun and embrace the NRA but it's also much more of a narrow rump of the population mm. and i think that's the sign of hope but i but i don't see any dramatic change on this i think it's going to take some some time yet
0: well, i guess one of the big factors that might change things would be the next year's the 2020 election the u.s election and the key thing is going to be the democratic candidates isn't it because that we're already seeing that gun policy is the big factor about yep. which they're running it up against each other so yep. is that the key area then it's getting the with the right democratic candidate that's very very strong against it towards like a, a republican candidate in someone like donald trump
1: i mean even even trump has wobbled in in the wake of the florida shooting he 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 um, he appeared willing to countenance a ban on assault weapons, but he was quickly whipped back into line. He's by gone quite quiet. NRA on backers, that. and he's, he said yeah. nothing more about it since. Although he was at their annual convention not so long ago, Obama made a few statements in his in his first year, and then he was saddled by the Sandy Hook incident, and he made it a kind of uh, the, the, his his second term of office. He made the whole um, gun control. Ban uh, a central feature, and, and ultimately was blocked. Mm. The the Democrats don't often like to bring it up, cause they they see it as a potential vote loser in all the places they need mm. to win marginal mm. seats. But I I think things are chi- shifting. What what one thing that many people don't realise is that gun ownership is falling in America. There are less people who own guns now, but the ones who've got them have got more of them. That was what I was going to Tucson. Uh, for the uh, Arizona Gun Conference to talk about. You know, what is it about the marketing of guns? Less people have guns, but uh, a few years ago, the average number of guns that people were supposed to own, that gun owners were supposed to own, was five. It's gone up to seven now. My, my question is, if you've already got six guns, what's going to make you buy the next one? Mm. And, and, and it's all about cranking up firepower. Throughout the 80s and 90s, people who owned guns were buying more and more high-power semi-automatic pistols because they were the new big thing. And now they're buying assault rifles. So ratcheting up the, the firepower available to civilians, you know, facing Armageddon terror threats, crime I don't know what sort of um, Armageddon <laughs> gun owners are buying for, but it, I think it's some mixture of all of that. And they want the most prolific, accurate, powerful, uh, rapidly available gun that they can bring to bear. And at the moment, military-type assault weapons are that thing, and that's what's selling, that's what's all over the gun gun magazines, the gun advertising. But there's less people owning them. But, it, you know, it's still... The gun industry flogging its wares, and around the west of the rest of the world, as you said, such as Australia banned them a while ago. We banned some of them, uh, and New Zealand, following the um, Christchurch shootings, has has moved very quickly.
0: Let's come back to your work here. You've been here a, a long time. Your role's about to change a bit, but what's kept you at the University of Brighton for so long? Was it the excitement of developing this? criminology uh, degree.
1: I came here in nineteen eighty six. It was my first full time lecturing job. And and I know when I came here, I thought I'll give it five years, see how it goes. <laughs> um and then various things happened. The 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 role has never stayed the same any one year, two years to the next. It it's it's always been growing and developing. I've I've had new roles to perform I've taken on different responsibilities. They've promoted me. We've been able to shape and change the courses. So it's forever been changing. I always found that the longer I stayed here, the more the job seemed to fit around me like a perfect love uh, The new role is to be much more kind of freelance, working consultancies, doing a lot more writing and and, and delivering in terms of my kind of intellectual agenda uh, rather than the teaching side of things. I'm going to stick with the postgraduate students I've already got, see them through, might even take some more um, and work with, w- with colleagues in Brighton and elsewhere on other collaborative projects. It, 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 for me, it's the same agenda, but just pursued in a different way.
0: How rewarding has it been to teach the students over this time?
1: Well, you see, that, that goes back to something I said earlier about my own time at Bristol. I, I felt really uncomfortable and, and kind of a fish out of the water in, in what felt like a very elite middle-class university uh, and and lots of people who didn't sort of share where I was coming from. And in a sense, Brighton has never been an elite middle-class university. We've always had a much wider sense of participation and and encourage a wider diversity of students. And I think that's really good. And one of the reasons I've never particularly wanted to go to an elite middle-class university is that I I really do value the kind of value-added that we can give to students you know, I've never thought that being a student was anything to do with intelligence much. It was about hard work and application, and if you could get that message through, people would develop their intelligence and their potential. So the kind of students we've had, I've felt very much invested in, and and nothing has nothing has been more pleasing than than to sort of you know, see them come through the course and towards the finally get it and become committed in ways they never expected. In a way, it was a bit like me. It's my kind of university. I don't think I would have been as happy in a, you know, in a more elitist institution.
0: We end every podcast with some sort of quickfire questions, really. The first one is, what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Stay on the diet, uh, learn a musical instrument, be a bit more assertive, All of those. Okay,
0: pick a favourite place in Sussex.
1: I like Wakehurst Place. Uh, Been in the National Trust for a while. I like going there. It's peaceful. It's a nice walk. Some nice woods. Yeah, I like going there.
0: What are you currently reading, watching and or listening to? You don't have to pick all three of them.
1: I I listen to a lot of um, what they now call Americana was once country and western country rock type music i like uh the uh whispering bob harris show on radio too and that's my inspiration i like steve earl i used to like the eagles a lot i read pretty much anything i like historical novels in particular um and i'll tend to sit and watch pretty much anything that my wife puts on the telly at that point of the evening when you just want to veg out
0: describe your perfect weekend
1: well yeah it's interesting um a couple years ago we bought a narrowboat so my perfect weekend would be a day like today nice and sunny fairly warm not too windy on the boat perfect weekend that goes from friday to friday yeah that would be ideal
0: finally if you could invite three people to dinner past or present who would they be and why
1: the weirdest thing is i i because you know i've been married 40 odd years my wife is like my soulmate i think she'd have to be there and she said you've got to invite barack obama because he's, he's someone she seems to want to know more about i think <laughs> and and secondly it, within within my family the, there was always one person missing it was my grandfather's brother it was always a feature in the family my grandfather's brother who was killed at the battle of ypres in, in 1915 in the first world war and and i'm fascinated by that because in, in much the same way as you know what what makes people do what they do I, i'm fascinated by the first world war and the willingness of a whole generation of men to just sign up and and you know walk towards machine guns in the way that they did i can't understand it and you know this is a family member who did that and and was killed and i'm just really curious his name was it was it was very extravagantly named his name was gershwin gershwin Wetten.
0: thank you to peter for his time you can find out more about our criminology course by clicking or tapping the link in the podcast description that's all for this week you can like and subscribe to this podcast via spotify and apple podcasts or search university of brighton on your preferred podcast app where you can also listen to previous episodes thanks for listening